Father, you tell us that uh, all your scriptures are useful for teaching us and for encouraging us and for challenging us. So we pray uh, that you will use this chapter to do that for us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I always remember a uh, moment in my year 10 history class, which in itself is history now, it's so long ago, uh, but we were given an essay about the causes of the Second World War. And the question was, was Hitler entirely to blame for World War II? Uh, And in your answer, what you were meant to write was, well, yes and no. Uh, Yes, Hitler was evil and so forth and he was horrible, but there were all these other historical factors that led to the rise of Hitler and led to the start of the war. That's a bit of free tutoring for any history students watching tonight. They never want a yes or no answer. They want you to give both sides. When we got our papers back, my uh, teacher was from another era. He wasn't into any modern teaching methods like giving you positive affirmation or anything like that. Uh, And he would call out your mark as he threw your paper at you. That was how he he sort of worked. So, you know, it was Colgan, 15, you can do better. Or Jones, 18, well done. Then he called this one kid, though, up the front. And you could tell he, he wanted to make an example of this kid. Uh, He said, I want you to read out your essay to the whole class and show them how silly you are. Uh, So this kid had to get up and read out his essay for us. But the thing was, it didn't take very long because he'd only written one line because his answer to the question, was Hitler entirely to blame for the start of the Second World War? His answer was, no, his friends pushed him into it. And that was the answer. And of course, it had the opposite impact of what the teacher was wanting because it made this kid a hero to us all. We sort of cheered him. In the end, even the teacher had to work hard not to break into laughter. Uh, And I don't think in the end it helped the kid with his HSC, uh, but we thought he was great for a moment. In a funny way, that is the question in today's passage. Who is to blame for this broken kingdom? Today's passage is the story of how Solomon's son, King Rehoboam, broke God's kingdom and not least because his friends pushed him into it and on the one hand this is a story of human sin and foolishness but like a good history essay it's more complicated than that because everything that happened was actually God working out his plans God working out his purposes you see what we get in this passage is an incredible insight into the way God works On the one hand, nothing can stop God's plans. God is in control and that's an incredible comfort. We'll see that. But on the other hand, God works out his plans through human actions. We are responsible for our sin. We are responsible for our foolishness and that's a great challenge. So I want us to see the way those two threads sort of weave together in this passage tonight. On the one hand, we have the foolishness of Rehoboam, but on the other hand, we have the unstoppable plans of God. So let's get into it. Uh, But this story actually started in last week's passage, chapter 11. So I want you to turn back to chapter 11 that we looked at last week. And the first heading is the die is cast. So last week, we saw the sin of Solomon. For one brief moment, if you remember, Israel had been how it was meant to be. God's king was on the throne, God's people were being blessed and they were, just for at least this moment, a light to the nations. Other nations were coming to Israel to meet God. But then Solomon messed it up. Solomon, even though God had appeared to him in person twice, Solomon allowed other gods to be worshipped in Israel. 
He had the temple for Yahweh there in Jerusalem and on the hill over the valley, there was a temple to another God. And God will not share his glory with anyone else. And so God said, that's it. Turn back to chapter 11, verses 11 to 13 and look what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this, you did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it during your lifetime because of your father, David, I will tear it out of your son's hand. Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son because of my servant, David, and because of Jerusalem that I chose. I hope you see just how important those verses are. God has already said that this is going to happen because of Solomon's sin. And God said three things. First of all, the kingdom will be lost and given to a servant rather than to his son. Secondly, because of God's promises to David, God won't do it until Solomon is dead. And thirdly, because of his promises again, it will not be total. God will allow Solomon's descendants to keep one tribe, the tribe of Judah, and to keep the city of Jerusalem. So as we go on then in chapter 11, we actually meet that servant who will be king. And it's a man called Jeroboam. Now you've got to get these names right. Jeroboam, he's the servant. Rehoboam, that's the son of Solomon. So Jeroboam, he's from Ephraim, which is the biggest of the tribes of Israel, and he is one of Solomon's best workers. But he's not a royal person. He's not the son of a king. Uh, He was just the guy in charge of building stuff. And one day he's walking along the road and a prophet comes up to Jeroboam and the prophet takes off his new cloak and rips it into pieces. These prophets are crazy guys. And the prophet gives Jeroboam 10 pieces of of the coat and he says this is God showing you in this sort of acted out way this is God showing you that you are going to be king of the 10 tribes of Israel but Solomon's son and he's got another piece of the coat Solomon's son will get to keep one and so all of that is to say as we come to chapter 12 God has already spoken that the die has already been cast we know what's going to happen The only question is how, which brings us to our next heading, which is the foolishness of Rehoboam. And this is chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. So as we start chapter 12, Solomon is dead. And so Rehoboam has the chance to make a go of this, to take over the kingdom from his father. You see, it's really interesting, even though God has told Jeroboam that he'll be king, he's told him Rehoboam's going to lose all these tribes. Jeroboam actually gives Rehoboam a chance to do it. He doesn't just come in and say, well, God's told me what's happening, I'm going to do it. He gives Rehoboam the chance to be king. This is really, really important to understand. God is totally in control. God's plans happen. Nothing can catch God by surprise. Yet, God's sovereignty, as we call it, never overrides our responsibility. God's plans and actions take into account our actions. They even use our actions, but we are still responsible for what we do. We'll think about this more in a minute, but here, yes, God has said it will happen, but Rehoboam is is not helpless. And what happens is still his fault. He is responsible for what happens. 
So Jeroboam and all the other leaders of Israel, they come to Rehoboam and they say, look at verse 4, they say, your father made our yoke difficult, you therefore lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. It's really pretty simple. They say, hey, Rehoboam, your dad was getting really harsh with us near the end. But if you just lighten up a bit, then we'll serve you. There's no need for this to go bad for you, Rehoboam. And it seems very reasonable, I think. And Rehoboam says, okay, well, let, let me think about it for three days. And so Rehoboam goes to his advisors. First of all, he goes to the elders. These were the older men who, who had advised his father, Solomon. And they give him some pretty wise advice. Look at verse 7. They replied, Today, if you will be a servant to these people and serve them, and if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. It's very good advice. You see what they're saying? Be nice now, and then they'll love you forever, even if you get a bit harder as you go on. It's actually what I tell our student ministers when they leave college and go to, to work at another church, start as a minister somewhere. I say, when you go there, keep your first sermon short and everyone will love you. And then you can get longer and longer and no one will notice. I bet you wish I listened to my own advice. But Rod Fitch and Chris Samsarian from our morning congregation maintained my first sermon at Snack went for 10 minutes only. But anyway, they ask where that's gone. Uh, but that's the advice here for Rehoboam. Go easy on them. Then you can push them harder later on. But then Rehoboam goes to his peers. He goes to the young men who, who serve him. And he asks them, what do you reckon I should do? And they say, don't be weak. You tell them you're the king and you'll do what you want and they'll do what they're told. Look at verse 10 there. It says, this is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. You tell them you are going to drive them harder than Solomon ever drove them and they're going to put up with it. And so Jeroboam and the others, they come back after three days and Rehoboam, well, he goes with the young men's advice. I'm not going easy on you. I'm going to drive you harder than you've ever been driven before. I'm the king. And at that point, that metaphorical coat that the prophet had ripped up becomes the reality. Rehoboam, at this point, loses his kingdom. The northern tribes reject him. They make Jeroboam their king. That gets called Israel. And Rehoboam is left with just Jerusalem and just the tribe of Judah in the south. Now, this story is not written as a moral lesson for us. The point of this chapter is not listen to older people. They know better. As much as if you're younger than me, I wish that was the, the point. As much as every parent wishes, I would say that was the point. That is not a universal law. This is describing at this point what Rehoboam did. In other situations, the advice of the elders might be wrong. Sometimes elders are so set in their ways, they need to hear the zeal of the young. So we mustn't just draw a moral rule from this. But it's not wrong to see lessons here in Rehoboam's foolishness. Ironically, uh, the book most associated with Rehoboam's father, the book of Proverbs, has a lot to say about these things. Like, for instance, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 15, which says, A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Or Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29, that says, The glory of young men is their strength, 
but the splendor of old men is gray hair. It's saying, you know, young men might be strong, but generally older people, age brings wisdom. Or Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20, which says, listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. You see, there's wisdom here that we can see. A wise person seeks godly counsel. A wise person is careful who they listen to and they certainly take advice from people who aren't worthy of giving good advice. A wise person weighs it all up before they act. A wise person respects the wisdom of those older than them. They're all lessons that the foolish Rehoboam might have listened to and lessons we can learn. But as I say, it's not the main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is in verse 15 where the writer actually interprets what happens for us. And I've called this, this, the next heading, the unstoppable plans of God. Look at verse 15. It says, The king did not listen to the people because this turn of events came from the Lord to carry out his word. See, ultimately, why did this happen? If you were writing an essay on this, you would say, rightly, well, it happened because of Solomon's sin. And you'd be right. You'd also say it happened because of Rehoboam's stupidity, and you'd be right. But ultimately, it happened because God had said it would happen, and what God says always comes to pass. You see, even the foolishness of Rehoboam was part of God's plan to fulfill his word. See, this little story, it gives us an insight into how God works in our world. God is in control. Nothing happens that is outside God's control. When God promises something, whether it is salvation or whether it is judgment, when God promises something, it will happen. But God brings his plans about through the good and the bad decisions of sinful human beings like Rehoboam. See, Rehoboam was not a robot. He is responsible for what he did here. And this is the way God works. In some senses, it's a mystery to us. God is sovereign, and yet we are not robots. We are responsible for our decisions, good and bad. You see this all through the Scriptures. You see it most wonderfully when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were evil, yet God used their evil ultimately to enable Joseph to save them. And Joseph doesn't say at the end, oh, God used it for good, so you guys didn't sin. No, look at what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It'll come on the screen. It says, you planned evil against me. He doesn't deny that what they did was evil. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. You are responsible. You'll be held to account but praise God that he is in control. And of course, we see this most wonderfully at the cross of Christ, don't we? You see, evil people conspired to put Jesus to death. Pilate, the Romans, the the, the Jewish leaders, they were evil. And if they did not repent and turn and put their trust in Christ afterwards, they will be judged for it. Yet God was in charge of it all, using their evil to bring about the event that saved us, the death of our Lord on our behalf. See, this truth is the most wonderful encouragement. In fact, I think it keeps me sane. God is in control. Every one of God's promises will come true. 
the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life for anyone who trusts in Jesus. Nothing that anyone does can change that that will come true. The promise of a new creation when Jesus returns without sin and pain and death. Nothing anyone does can stop that coming true. But also the promise of judgment for people who reject Christ. Those promises, the promises of Scripture are locked in stone and they will happen whatever stupid and sinful decisions we make. Which means in the end, it doesn't matter what stupid decisions kings and governments make. It doesn't matter what stupid decisions church leaders make. It doesn't matter what stupid decisions you make and I make. God is in control and he is at work to make his promises come true which is the most incredible encouragement. It's the promise of that great verse in Romans 8 that we quote so often because it's so wonderful. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. God is in control. But at the same time, remember, we are responsible our decisions the fact that God is in control doesn't absolve us of responsibility God will hold prime ministers to account God will hold premiers to account God will hold church leaders to account God will hold you and me to account for how we live God's sovereignty does not mean that we are robots Rehoboam was a fool who had to face the consequences of his actions in the same way our actions have consequences. Just because God uses our sin doesn't excuse our sin. Just because God uses our foolishness doesn't excuse our foolishness. See, this passage, understood correctly, is equal part comfort and equal part challenge. And we need to hear both. Back to our chapter and my final heading for tonight, which is wisdom at last. And this is verses 16 to 24. See, once Rehoboam makes his dumb decision, the kingdom rips apart. Jeroboam becomes the king of Israel, that's the northern tribes. Rehoboam becomes the king of Judah, one tribe. There's a bit of Benjamin in there, but they were tiny and irrelevant at this point. Importantly though, Rehoboam still had Jerusalem and he still had the temple. And now that's massively important for the rest of the Bible, and we're going to see it in the weeks to come, because God had promised that it would be through the tribe of Judah and in particular through a king descended from David in Jerusalem, that is how he would save his people. That's why God left Rehoboam that one tribe and left him Jerusalem, but that's for the future. But now Rehoboam still doesn't get it, he won't accept, this is God's will, so he sends off one of his trusted allies to tell off the the northern kingdom, he gets stoned to death. Rehoboam escapes by the skin of his teeth in a chariot. Then he comes back to Jerusalem. He's still not giving up. He mobilizes 180,000 warriors to go and get his kingdom back for him. He's doing that thing that many, many leaders in history end up doing. He's going to destroy it all rather than let someone else have it. But then a prophet comes to see him. Look from verse 22. It says, But a revelation from God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to the whole house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. You are not to march up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Each of you must return home 
for I have done this. That's the important part. For I have done this. Will you not get it, Rehoboam? God is saying to him. This is not up for grabs. This is my will. You can't change it. And in the biggest shock in the whole book of 1 Kings, Rehoboam listens. You're going to see that with all the kings to come. It's a very rare thing that happens. Finally, Rehoboam gets it. He could have had a billion troops and it wouldn't matter. He was never going to win because God had spoken. In a strange way, this is actually a wonderful glimpse of God's incredible grace. See, he could have let Rehoboam keep getting what he deserves. But instead, God, by his grace, warns him off and saves all those lives that would have died in the battle. God actually limits the impact of Rehoboam's sin and stupidity rather than letting him take what he deserves. Often, it's amazing how often God does that for us. We make sinful and stupid decisions and yet God limits the damage we cause while we come to our senses. He gives us time to repent. On a big scale, that's actually what he's doing with our whole world at the moment. He's holding off the return of Christ to give more people the chance to hear about Jesus, more people the chance to repent and find salvation. But finally here, to be fair to Rehoboam, he shows some wisdom. Because in the end, what is the essence of wisdom? The essence of wisdom is to know that God is in control and so we listen when God has spoken. The essence of wisdom is to listen to God's word, to trust it and to act in response to it. So we're so used to Israel's kings not listening to God's word, just for this moment Rehoboam is wise. And like before with Rehoboam's lack of wisdom and the way that showed us the folly of not seeking good advice, well here his wisdom points us in the right direction. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to make right decisions to bring glory to God and follow his will? Listen to God. Read his word. God has spoken to you. Listen to his word. It's like Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God has spoken. He has given us in his scriptures the wisdom we need for salvation and everything we need to live a life that glorifies him in the light of that salvation. God has spoken. Be wise. Let's make sure we are people who listen to God and his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in control of all things. And we thank you for that wonderful promise that in the end, everything that happens, you are doing for our eternal good. And so, Father, help us to trust you. At the same time, Father, help us to take responsibility for our decisions. And in particular, help us to be wise. Help us to be people who read your word, listen to it and live by it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.